The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 55. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hey everybody, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, a.k.a. Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. And today we're discussing the exhilarating finale of Star Wars Rebels, so this is Season 4, Episode 15, um, Family Reunion and Farewell. Joining me today on the panel are, first up, we have Angela Cialana. What's up, everybody? Good to have you. Uh, second up is Thomas Sanherjo. It's good to be here. And third and finally this evening, we have Mike Creevy. Hey guys, how's it going? Pretty darn well. Before we jump quite into the uh, the episode at hand, uh, we, I just wanted to, to kind of get your guys' uh, thoughts and opinions on something super important that happened yesterday. I, we've kind of already been chatting about this a little bit, but um, yesterday was, was October 10th, uh, 2020, and... Uh, that was the the beatification of Carlo Acutis, uh, who was a 15 year old. Um, I guess you'd say he's Italian. I guess he was born in London, but but very quickly after a couple months was moved to Milan with his with his family. But um, he uh, loved loved the Lord, so he's declared a blessed now. Um, he was a tech whiz, so he's kind of a pseudo patron for for what we do. <laughs> Um, yes. he programmed websites. He, uh, was a gamer, uh, but, of, but most of all, he, he loved the Lord and he loved the Eucharist. So he actually created a website that catalogs, uh, the Eucharistic miracles, uh, around the world. Um, but also just, I think, uh, Angela, you found he had a, he had created like a, a star Wars themed little, <laughs> little video, which was, which was really cool to, to pull up and see. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe we can share that link in the show notes. Um, but I, once I heard that he liked Pokemon and he liked movies and comics, I was like, dude, I have to Google this. I was like, <laughs> Carlo Acuda's Star Wars. And it mm-hmm. came up that he was a Star Wars fan and that he made this, yeah, this fun little video, um, edited this video together. It's actually really impressive for somebody mm-hmm. his age. Um, the, uh, kind of, yeah, it, it has the, the John Williams music in there and everything. So yeah, Very um, cool. it's just neat to, to, to know that somebody in heaven is, uh, you know, also a star Wars fan and, <laughs> and, uh, just, I feel a kinship. <laughs> I just discovered that his birthday was May 3rd. He, oh, he was so close. So close. <laughs> so close. Think, yeah, maybe God held that back because that would have just been too much. Too much. <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah we got to stay humble. It's funny. It's, it's, I love the fact that, you know, you can take your faith and you don't have to check your nerdiness at the door. You know, you can 
bring all of that stuff in. And uh, we, I was just telling father before we started the show that uh, we take our 11 year olds to uh, Hogwarts, to Universal, to kind of experience the whole Hogwarts thing. And I took my uh, just my freshly minted 11 year old uh, yesterday and we did this whole like day thing. And during the day, I was really wanting to connect with him and have a good faith talk. And it just didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. So finally, into the night we're on the hogwarts ride and he brings up the fact that he wants to talk about the houses and so we talk about you know he he uh got clocked into the slytherin house and so he's worried about being a bad guy and we had this long discussion about you know why that's not necessarily true you know we all have these kind of natures that tend this way but that you know it's all about the choices that you make and that turned into a discussion about the disciples and which house they would be in. And <laughs> so we were like, you know, placing all the disciples into houses. And it was just, it turned into a great day with a great talk right at the end and all about the nerdiness. <laughs> and, you know, I was hoping that it would coalesce and it almost didn't. But then right at the end, it just, uh, you know, God saved it and kind of stepped into that. What I, what I appreciate about, about all of this is that God doesn't want us to deny our humanity. And right. and so to have to have a, a saint like like Carlo is is just it's super helpful for for young people today to have someone to relate to, because often you look at the saints and it's and it's like, oh, my gosh, they were so holy and pious. Or you look at St. Therese, um, who had her own faults, but like, oh, my gosh, she was so darn holy. And I'm so not, you know, in mm -hmm. comparison. Uh, but to have to have him and, and to, to recognize that, like, God uses our our humanity. Like he became one of us in all things but sin. So that says that, that all the things that we like and enjoy and, and have fun with, none of that is outside of God's providence and his, his desire for us, which is kind of the whole point of, of all of the, the podcasts that we do on, on SQPN, this, this bridging of pop culture and the Catholic faith, um, which is, which is a super, really super cool. One of the things that I, I did um, when I uh, stepped in as pastor here at St. Lawrence O'Toole was in the bulletin. I, I had like this blurb of, you know, this is who I am and this is kind of where I came from and, you know, a little bit of my backstory. But I also included in there that I was a geek and that I loved Star Wars and you would not be or you would be probably not surprised by how much people responded to that. Mm -hmm. I have masks made by parishioners that are Star Wars themed that I wear at mass and like <laughs> i can wear just about one every day of the week um a different right. <laughs> parishioner brought me uh you know baby yoda cereal and you know so it's uh it's just it's really cool to be able to to connect to people on that way and to to know that that's again not outside of god's uh providence and, and realm so i'm laughing by the way here. i'm looking on his um <laughs> on the uh, the youtube page or uh, yeah youtube page on the um wikipedia page and it says attributes laptop rosary blessed sacrament <laughs> and i'm laughing nice. I'm almost, it's almost like video game yep. language you know what i mean like like your like your power-ups or like your special <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just like what's it his, his in his toolkit laptop rosary blessed sacrament it's like that's like the perfect patron saint for like every kid born mm -hmm. you know after like 1990 <laughs> yeah. one of the things that he did that I, I i i found really inspiring too was that like he was a gamer but he specifically limited his gaming to an hour a week as a spiritual mm -hmm. discipline, which I think is, <laughs> yeah, <what>? it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> probably, Gosh. probably not something that many people can do, but I found that very uh, impressive. I need to limit yeah. like my, my Facebook time to an hour a week. Oh, that would be <laughs> super helpful. Um, so 
I think I think yeah, he's he's definitely a show patron for us, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think so. I think kind of yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll, yeah. We'll see if Dom makes it official, but I think unofficially we can totally claim him. Nice. So, but with that, go look him up. Uh, blessed uh, Carlo Acutis, and um, yeah, which means that he's actually in heaven. He's a saint who can intercede for us. So, which is super cool. With that, well, let's uh, let's turn to our episode at hand and let's talk about the finale of Rebels. As always. You guys ready? What was your oh man <laughs> impressions of these? Uh, uh, it's a forty-minute long episode, but what was your impression of the finale? I didn't care for it. I'm just kidding. No, I <laughs> like how, where do you start? <laughs> yeah, well, I think probably up to the point that this came out, this was probably the best like Star Wars finale, or maybe the most satisfying. That I mm-hmm. remember seeing. Um, I mean, obviously, Return of the Jedi is like my favorite Star Wars movie, technically. But um, I think there was just something uh, uniquely satisfying about this particular finale. Um, and we'll go go into all the different reasons. But um, I, I loved how it it did connect to the different lore um the different uh media in star wars and it also left us wanting more at the same time Mm -hmm. um and so uh there was the spiritual elements there was the battle elements um great character moments character development so and the music was awesome i think it just had all the the elements that make a great finale really surprising like uh sci fantasy trope to you know that ending and and the the ending of the battle was just kind of like a surprise but also made complete sense mm-hmm. uh and i think if i if i had one complaint it would be that there wasn't enough chopper <laughs> like chopper was wildly underutilized in the in the finale yeah and it was knocked out for a good uh, yeah. a couple <laughs> minutes there at least <laughs> yeah no it was it was just um it was great. It was you know very satisfying, and um, you know as always, I can't help but of course um, be thinking about connections to other stuff, you know, and with with uh, all the Mandalorian hype and everything coming mm-hmm. up, it's just you know I hadn't really watched this full episode since. Well, I think I'm I may have watched it since the Mandalorian season one first came out. But I don't think I had seen it since, you know, the speculation had really kind of geared up about Mandalorian season two and all the potential connections here. And I don't know, I just couldn't help but think, you know, your your timeline at the end of this episode mm-hmm. is is all over that. And they, you know, they specifically set themselves up for some things to be resolved one way or the other. You know, so I, I can't imagine they would just leave that loose end or those loose ends, you know. So, um, so yeah, I just, I left, I loved it on its own. And then also for the potential connections outside of it that I think they can do a lot with. I'm hoping we get a live action Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah, man. (laughs) That's my, that's my main hope. (laughs) Uh, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I would just kind of echo what you guys said. I, I loved how there was a, um, there was a, I mean, it was a finale. So there's, there's definitely kind of the conclusion of the story and it's all built upon, uh, the family theme and the, the relationships between the characters, which is, which is so key. But I also love that, um, I found a, a distinct parallel between Ezra and Anakin. So Anakin in Revenge mm-hmm. of the Sith in encountering Palpatine and being manipulated and then Ezra 
and Palpatine in this particular episode and how both of them parallel each other and one chooses one way and one chooses the other way. And so there was kind of a Revenge of the Sith parallel, but also Return of the Jedi parallel, if you will, for kind of the, the bigger finale, which I thought was really fun to, to, to kind of see play out. And it answers the question of why didn't we see Ezra in uh, the original trilogy, which was they had to they had to explain that somehow. And I'm just I'm glad that he's not dead. It's always uh, a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thrawn, too. I'm, I'm glad both of them are, are unknown, but but still alive. Uh, so to jump into the to the recap, uh, the, the episode starts off um, immediately where the, the previous episode kind of left and um, we see Ezra holding a hollow of his family. Um, and, and I think that, that again kind of keys back to that, that family theme and, and, and Ezra, you know, he's grown so much, which I, I really love to see that. And he, he says that he's afraid, but he's not afraid for himself. He's afraid for his, his friends and his family, you know, and, and everything that he's doing began and ended with them, his, his family, as he's looking at, at this hollow which was a succinct summary of kind of Ezra's Ezra's personality, his character, which was, which was cool. Uh, Hera comes and, and kind of pulls him away from that. And we swap to governor price. Who's being brought out, who was captured in the previous episode and, um, and her and Callus kind of have this, this little uh, dialogue between the two of them. And I thought it was really interesting what Callus said, because uh, Price is is telling him, you know, that that he's betraying the Empire. And Callus says to her, the day I betrayed your Empire, Governor, was the day I finally stopped betraying myself. And I just found that to be a very pointed comment, uh, because it's it's just something that that we all, I think, could could learn from is, is we often kind of put blinders on and 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 don't aren't true to ourselves or we we try to you know be someone that we're not in order to 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 fit in or to feel part of something greater and 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 it's important to to you know not not betray ourselves not betray the the person that god made us to be and that's such a succinct kind of wrapping up of of the star wars theme as a whole right Mm -hmm. the the stormtroopers are all the same they they all like you can even look at moments where you see a stormtrooper and leia sees uh luke in the stormtrooper garb and says aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper and it's like like wow how homogenous (laughs) all is this group that it's all exactly the same and uh you know you always see the character the main characters without masks all the rebels always have their faces exposed they're they're visible to the world they they show who they are even though if you were talking about this in real life that might be the the group that you would think would be more likely to kind of be the terrorist group with their faces covered trying to hide who they are yeah i think that's a good point even the um producers of the show talk about how they um in the behind the scenes stuff how they um they change the the main characters looks each season to Mm -hmm. sort of uh, demonstrate their character growth as well um, as their personal development. And uh, Callus is one of those characters. You kind of see that, like you were saying, Thomas, the Imperial characters sort of look the same. Even um, Governor Price, you know, she doesn't wear a mask. She wears a uniform, but she looks the same throughout the whole, mm-hmm. you know, right. uh, series that we see her. But uh, Callus obviously has a huge sort of conversion and change in his life. And he looks totally different, you know, um, when he's with the rebellion versus 
when he's with the Empire. And I think he's like one of my low key, like one of my favorite characters in Rebels um, because of what he kind of represents, um, acknowledging that your your former way of life was not the correct path and um, having the humility to choose differently and to uh, reconcile with your enemy. And, you know, I think that he's a really cool character. It was pointed out uh, on a commentary somewhere, just like even the relationship between him and Zeb, like they started off as mortal enemies, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. with even uh, Callus being um, at least kind of thinking that he was uh, complicit in the the genocide of of the Lasat race. Right. You know, and then at the end of this episode, he is brought to their their home world and is able to see that that they have survived and and just seeing Zeb and Callus as as friends is is mm-hmm. awesome it's not quite the same but it, it, it's a little reminiscent i mean it's not quite the same in terms of of where they started out because you know they were far more you know like you said enemies but the, I, was, I couldn't help but think a little of uh legolas and gimli you know in terms <laughs> yeah. of at least hostility you know <laughs> yeah um but you know much more of that obviously in, in this but same kind of satisfying like it, it wasn't hard to believe you know like there's this they go through this thing together and and it was just a really fun arc with the two of them. So um, I thought you were going to say Han and Chewie when you were no. setting that up. <laughs> no, no, they were enemies, I guess, technically. <laughs> yeah, yeah like we saw in Solo, they were... As we found out. He thought he was going to be eaten. That was an interesting touch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Wookiee, man. you got to be afraid of the Wookiees. <laughs> but it just points out the, uh, I mean, the, the whole, the ability to grow as persons, you know, that even, mm-hmm. even if we run into someone and, and there's you know, antagonistic feelings. I mean, you can, you can work through that and actually become really, really good friends, even in the midst of, of that. And, you know, it's, 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 it, I mean, good fiction uh, reflects real life. So, Mm -hmm. so that's, that's, that's really cool to see kind of portrayed uh, through all those characters. And I think it's especially important to remember that it's, it's through work uh, like this, this strenuous work together that they, are able to become battle brothers in this case. But, uh, and, and I think a lot of people miss the fact that, that you can do just as much of that growing together in uh, volunteer work, uh, because you see these trenches and you work so hard and you pour so much of yourself into it that, uh, the people that are with you, when you do that, they become lifelong friends. They become so important to you that they're family members. Um, and that, that makes me think of, uh, it, it also sort of depends on like the goal that I mean, yeah. if like like Zeb and Callus are, I mean, Callus kind of got into uh, recognizing the evil of the Empire and wanting to do good. So their goal was to 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 liberate and to free and to to bring mm-hmm. uh, peace to to the galaxy and noble cause, you know. Versus you know, to say two criminals who are in it for themselves and are you know their goal is is not as noble. That naturally leads to a destruction of the friendship. You know, versus right. like two people who are striving for holiness that are standing together in the battle uh, of the world. You know, that can that can draw two two people together in a way that, you know, if you're just if you're just climbing the, the, the uh, you know, the, the career ladder together, it's it's not the same. It's the power of virtue versus vice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like vice will destroy and virtue will unite. And the yeah, I was reminded of the. um because cause the whole crew, too, you know, because there's others we'll get to later, but with, you know, Visago and uh, Hondo and like all these these folks who don't really seem to fit, you know, if, it, mm-hmm. if there were no empire, 
these guys wouldn't necessarily be coming together. And, and I couldn't help but think of, uh, was it C.S. Lewis? I think had the line somewhere about like uh, when there's a madman at the door, warring brothers will reconcile like that <laughs> idea of like, Hey, no, this is more important. You know, like we've got yeah. our squabbles, you know, and maybe they're important and we have to work on them too. Um, and, you know, we of course see some of that in, in the wake of the destruction of the empire and the whole lead up to the sequel trilogy too. Like we learned that, Everybody wasn't just friends then afterwards either. Like the, the war kind of continues where we still have these, maybe these conflicts between each other, but you know, can we, how long can we really kind of stretch that out and kind of hopefully reconcile these differences, you know, so they're not just waiting there as soon as this immediate threat's gone. All, all good points. Um, so, so Callus is, is here to, to help. And, uh, he, uh, they're, they they coerce Governor Price to to work with them at this point, and Ezra uses the Lothwolves to to coerce her into <laughs> um, <laughs> making sure she she you know helps them and doesn't want to be eaten by the by the Lothwolf. Um, so she agrees to to give them the the victory co- codes and um, help the rebels infiltrate the capital, and then they all ship off to the to the capital to infiltrate the dome. Uh, with a plan to to liberate Lethal. On the way there, there was a couple key dialogue moments that I want to bring up, and one of them is just is is totally Rex. Um, they they were talking about the plan, and Rex says, uh, "In my experience, when it comes to Jedi, the worse the plan, the better the result." Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if Rex is a great one to rely on experience though, because you know, I mean, you're talking about Anakin there. <laughs> <laughs> true but he's had experience with Kanan and Ezra and you know yeah that's true too. so um but then there's a really cool moment between Ezra and Sabine and Ezra kind of makes the point to tell Sabine that, that he says I I know I can always count on you and they really kind of put emphasis on this not just kind of a passing comment but that kind of came up later on in the episode and at the end where uh, Sabine sort of recognizes that um, that was maybe an allusion to her going to find him uh, in the unknown regions. That was one of those real like brother and sister moments. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. It, though? Well, and that's that's exactly <laughs> what is going to bring up is that 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 was a, a key uh, uh, reflection of their their brother sister relationship. And and I want to say it was in um, I think they mentioned it perhaps in the, the Rebels recon. Just the fact that like Ezra and Sabine they didn't need to have a romantic relationship for this to work. Right. Um, their relationship as brother and sister was so incredibly powerful, just the way that it was. And I, and I was really thankful for that because, yeah. you know, just because a guy and a girl are friends does not mean that it has to be romantic. Um, I have right. plenty of, of friends who are, are, are girls and, you know, there's there's no romantic uh, interest at all there, but there's still an authentic friendship, which is which is so, so, so good and so necessary. They uh, so, yeah, so they, they're kind of talking about the plan. They are going to land at the command center and launch the dome. And uh, surprise, surprise, that entire dome is actually a ship. And that can be like jettisoned from the planet or I mean, I guess it was the idea was that <clears throat> the Empire could land one of these things on a planet that they were going to occupy and they already had a pre-made capital city dome ready to go they didn't have to build any infrastructure for it so 
it actually makes sense if you think about it in terms of like the Death Star, right? The Death Star yeah. is like the next evolution of that, where it's just it looks like half a Death Star. <laughs> that's pretty much that's pretty much what it is. It's like half a Death Star. It's the full capability of the of the of the Legion or whatever yeah. uh, rank and file it is, and then they just land it and kind of deploy from there. Mm-hmm. And it totally fits with all the video game concept that you go with, like right where you you go into conquer an area and you just land your your massive uh, base where you start building all of your units yep. from, and yep. there you go. <laughs> My, I couldn't help but laugh though because I was thinking like just I don't know I was on this geometry bent because I couldn't help but think I was like okay here's this thing looking at this dome and then I'm thinking of like the Stargate pyramid thing and then like <laughs> I'm like and if you get the board cube in there you know <laughs> pretty much got all of our bases covered for different shapes that really seem like a dolly painting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought the dome was the coolest I don't know I just it looked neat yeah no Thomas I think you you raised a really good point I, I've been playing Halo Wars with my brother and that's like a, mm-hmm. a real-time strategy game so yeah. same same sort of thing like you you the, the the base gets built and then that's just where everything is built and comes from and you just kind of uh, take over all the enemies in the area uh the, the plan is to launch it and to blow it up and um first of all they want to bring all the, the the imperials onto the dome and then blow it up uh with all of them on it so first they got to get there and so they they land and um uh, attempt to infiltrate the, the dome they charade out as as if price has them prisoners and we have the kind of uh, fun infiltration scene. And uh, yeah, a lot of just, this is so rebels. <laughs> the, the pigs flying. Right? That was my favorite part. Right? I thought of that line like five or six times this week. And it makes me giggle like every single time. Yep. And like, if anyone said it but him for some reason, I just feel like Hondo saying it's mm-hmm. like, it's got to be him. <laughs> Just the way he said it too is like in such awe. Like yeah, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> I also liked his proceeding. Um, hey, purple guy, yep. get in position. Yep. Hondo's <laughs> <Yep. laughs> a character that I think will come back to you, but I, I um, even that it's it's fun to to see the relationship between Hondo and Melch. Uh, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. so but but we'll get get back to that because there's more more to that later. Uh, Say they do infiltrate the command center uh, using Melch as as the pig who can fly as a distraction. And uh, they they recognize that they can't defeat all of Price's troops and they don't want to. Instead, they want to utilize Protocol 13. And uh, it's apparently the Empire's new order that will immediately recall all the personnel to the base for full evacuation. Um, That's when they will then try to launch it. And it's goodbye to the Empire on the fall. And of course, things don't go exactly as planned. We shift back out to the the plains of Lothal, where Wolf, uh, Visago, and uh, Mart Martin are informed of of the rebels' progress and are standing by. Um, uh, and uh, Matt says that, or Mart, is it Mart or Matt? I have it's a, Mart. Mart. It's Mart. Uh, wrote it wrong in my notes. So Mart Mart says that Ezra gave him a, a special mission, um, but before anything happens, they're attacked by by Rook. And I put in my notes, uh, the fall didn't kill him. <laughs> of course not. Right, 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 right. So stop throwing people down pits. <laughs> Never works. <laughs> Is it, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, I don't want to go too, uh, funny enough, I don't want to go down the, the, uh, <laughs> but, and I didn't intend that, but is, is Mace Windu the only one who supposedly died from that? 
Like, because I'm trying to think. I was, I was thinking the other day. I, I have to sit down and like write it out, but I can't think. Like, everyone who gets thrown down a pit doesn't mm. die now. Including I'm sure the there's other less notable pits that have been used to dispose of characters in various different well, there, series. There's, that there's we're plenty just of stormtroopers that fall, that's, right? That's there's true. plenty of stormtroopers he, that Wilhelm scream right. their way off the edge of something. <laughs> he might be <laughs> the that's only. The key. If they do the Wilhelm scream, oh, they you've got to do the Wilhelm <laughs> scream. There it is. Yeah. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was even that, that, that Jedi in Attack of the Clones that jumps up and they they blast him if you or you know uh, Jango Fett gets him and he just falls not nearly as far and just lands and he's you know but he got shot so I don't know I don't know what the rule is so there must be an explosion involved in the fall right that's, yeah and, and Mace Windu was electrocuted so I mean there's all there kinds of yeah <laughs> but did he die well I know now everybody is like there's like after that whole culture on on online with that too like he's coming Mace? back i'm like oh gosh really well, Sam, samuel jackson's ageless so you might as well just throw <laughs> anything you know <laughs> some people are you know like well maybe he'll be in the kenobi series i'm like don't don't no don't do it I, i'd love to see him too but that's, that would be so random i think that's a bridge too far yeah <laughs> they need to cap they, they got because i don't know I, I don't know if you guys remember in the uh, in the expanded universe era uh george lucas finally said okay look you've got to stop with the <laughs> jedi survived order 66 <laughs> Or it's like, what was Order what 66 was even for, yeah. right? So, oh so I hope that they hit that cap a little earlier with, uh, with the, uh, the new universe that they've started here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so, so Rook didn't, didn't die, um, as it's, as it's very clear. <laughs> and, uh, he manages to knock all of, of, uh, Mart, um, Visago and Wolf out. Um, but before he can kill any of them, uh, Lothwolf comes and chases him back and forces, uh, Rook to retreat. At which point he informs Grand Admiral Thrawn that the rebels captured Price and that they've inf infiltrated the Imperial headquarters. And Thrawn is not at all surprised. Um, he expected Governor Price to fail, uh, but not so completely. So apparently Price missed the the bar that even Thrawn had lowered for her. And uh, yeah poor poor price but uh anyway so thrawn isn't worried at all um but he does task rook, rook with shutting down the shield generators over the city before the rebels can lock down the dome which is important in the the plot that follows back in the command center uh callus does his best to implement protocol 13 um they have to get Ryder to imitate uh colonel uh Yularen's voice and kind of talk his way through confirming the order which was kind of fun to to, to see that kind of play out which isn't surprising. Clancy Brown doing it, of course, isn't surprising. But, you know, it's funny that, like, his character is as good at voices as he is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But even, like, the, the hangar officer was, was skeptical. So, you know. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, kind of uses intimidation and, and causes him to, to go ahead with, with the order. And uh, so that causes all the Imperial units to move back to the dome. And Rook also comes back into the dome at that point as well. And it's at this point that Thrawn finally arrives on the scene. Um, the, the crew was, was attempting to start the launch, uh, but they had to cancel it because otherwise it would crash into the star destroyer and the debris would, would kill innocent people, uh, by, and destroy the entire city potentially. So they stopped the, the launch and, um, Thrawn and Ezra have a, have a conversation. And Ezra is acting confident and tells Thrawn that he's failed. Not and a, not Thrawn, a... Thrawn is a chess player. Uh, he yeah. knows how to turn the table yeah. really, really well. 
sent chills up my spine. I appreciated oh, yeah. that so much because mm. I know the Thrawn from the books. And yeah. so there, there had to be a way that he was defeated in this, but, but at, like completely unexpected. And the way that the finale plays out, I think pays homage to Thrawn that, that this mm. was a chess piece that he could not expect coming his way. But this particular encounter with Ezra, he does expect, and um, he's, he's completely ready for it. Something I put in my notes at this point is that everything gets far worse before it can get better. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, it's like that happens in every story. But um, these days, it was very comforting to remember <laughs> that yeah. things yeah. have to get worse before they get better. And man, seeing those Star Destroyers, it's intimidating. Like thinking about a ship that size, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the, the people falling down holes and it not mattering in Star Wars. Gravity just doesn't matter in Star Wars. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you see these enormous ships, the size of a city themselves mm-hmm. and several of them like floating above your city and then Thrawn not caring about the people on yep. the ground, knowing that he's just he's he's not even he's not even intimidating the people in the city. He's just making a point to Ezra. You have not won. This is, this is my victory here. I'm, I'm going to, and then he just, I'm going to starts bombing. I think his motivation is not quite so heartless as that. Um, but again, yeah. this, this is, this is totally me like knowing Thrawn from the books that he's such a strategist that I think he had to do this in order to, you know, make make his point right, known, right. make his power known. I, I guess, I give Thrawn a little bit more soul, maybe than than is seen in, yeah. in Rebels. Uh, I I don't think he would just needlessly kill. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Oh with yeah, that. yeah. I don't I don't disagree with you on that. Definitely. Yeah. I think that this is a it's a it's a strategic move to assert dominance, right? And yep. and there's yep. nothing lost in that. Like, yep. and and I and he does. He even mentions I think that he's not. He doesn't want to have to do this, but he obviously has to mm-hmm. now. He, he mentions well, later. He knows, yep. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say he knows Ezra's weak point and mm-hmm. that, how much he cares about Lothal. And he wants Ezra to get on the ship, yep. uh, on the Star Destroyer. So he's got to compel him to, you know, again, assert his dominance and make it look like you have no choice but to come meet with me and do mm-hmm. exactly what I want. Later on in the episode, he does make the point that that he didn't want to destroy Lafal, but it's inevitable now. I think is how he kind of frames mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, I feel I feel sort of torn because I I want to defend Thrawn so bad because I I <laughs> love him as a character and uh, especially the books where he's more the the protagonist than the antagonist. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, but well, in, I think the thing you see here, the the one thing that you do see here is that he is not the one that gets caught monologuing, right? like he, he he does not monologue at all he says look i know you're not going to take my word for it so i'm just going to do this now and show you that you have to get on the star destroyer yep. and it's not because he wants ezra to come meet him it's because he answers to somebody else mm-hmm. and that's the only reason he's bringing ezra on it's not not because he wants to do this grandstanding thing he's like ah, the emperor wants you here so get up here <laughs> he just lets him go through his whole speech he's like are you quite finished? It's like, <laughs> right? And you see Ezra's face just sinks. Like, what? what? Like, that, like, that's the best I had. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what makes Thrawn such a, a good villain is that, like, he's not afraid to, to retreat 
if it's if mm-hmm. it's necessary and military militaristically um, appropriate. He's not going to just you know wastelessly lose um, his his crew and his ships out of some prideful sort of idea, but but rather he is so calculated um, that that he's scarily cool in in how he approaches mm-hmm. all of this. Um, and then, so he, he does open fire on the city, uh, destroying people and buildings. And Thomas, you might, uh, feel similarly to me in this. I don't know if Angela or Mike, you've, you've played uh Knights of the, Knights of the old Republic. Mm, yeah. But in long in like, time ago, um, in, in the, the very kind of the opening of that video game, um, at the end of the, like the first chapter, the, the entire city. And I think planet is destroyed by the Sith who bombard the planet with these the with the, their laser beams and yeah it's very devastating in the video game to so to like see it happen here on lethal it was like oh no oh no this is this is gonna be bad um and it yeah <laughs> kind of aided in my fear of the city uh after playing that i was just going back and double checking because his character i i was pretty sure i was right on this and I, i'm with this might have come up before when we talked about some of his stuff like a long time ago but but I know Timothy Zahn, I was just verifying here, was describing, among others, you know, who in the first place were kind of um, inspirations for this character. He's basically sort of an amalgamation of, um, of uh, you know, Rommel and Hannibal and Robert E. Lee and Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> like Sherlock Holmes, yeah, yep. Alexander the Great. And it's interesting because somehow he, you know, uh, well, just all the, like Sun Tzu, like all the Art of War stuff, like there's just this. This Hodge, it's interesting, he doesn't become just this unbelievable hodgepodge. He's, he somehow fits so perfectly in the Star Wars universe. Because mm-hmm. I've been reading tons of these books now. Like, I'm doing all the audiobooks thing, as I told you guys. Mm-hmm. I've backed my addiction off a little bit. But <laughs> sometimes, it, and I love them all, but sometimes it's just too, you know, and some people bring this criticism up with some of the movies, too. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's just too Earth-like, you know, but, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, but I don't know. The main character's name in the first movie is Luke. So, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> But, yeah. you know, there's just always that, like, when do you cross that line and when when are you still on the right side of it kind of thing? And somehow he's always totally in that universe. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just such a such an incredible character to combine all those uh, specific influences, but to also right. keep him, you know, pure in a sense, you know. And he, to be such a perfect strategist, you yeah. would have to be, uh, you would have to have this machine backing yeah. you, right? You'd have to have this war machine that, that just... right to rise in the ranks that way mm-hmm. it would have With to the be galaxy cold. that big too and the right. conflict that big he has to be up to that exactly level. <laughs> it's just cold yeah. calculating yeah. not concerned about the the not not concerned beyond the the importance of what he's doing right uh you know the mission what the consequences are of where yeah. he is mm-hmm. yeah but i think it also helps that he's chiss so he is mm-hmm. naturally he's he's not he's humanoid but he's not a human so so right. i mean we it it kind of already separates him off from all the the human imperials uh but also uh if you if you read chaos rising which is the new timothy zahn book you you hear or you read about uh thrawn's rise through the ranks in the chiss ascendancy mm. and but even in the chiss ascendancy he's an oddball he is super brilliant uh in terms of strategy and military which that's what kind of causes him to rise through the ranks. But it's also cool too, because he's not at all perfect. And in the political sphere, he is incredibly lacking and can't quite figure it out. So 
so he he's like a supervillain, but he's also he's he's not perfect, uh, which which helps balance the character because you can't have someone who's just all powerful and, and almighty and mm-hmm. right, well, you know. and he's he's never gonna be part of. There. What's interesting to me is like you, I can't quite see him and like Moff Gideon getting along. Mm-hmm. You know exactly, and some of those other moths who pop up in the books and stuff, where there is that, they might be a great strategist, military. You know, even Tarkin. You know, because he has some, you know, run-ins with Tarkin in some of the books too, where it's just that's not that's not his world. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just right. very interesting. He's never really part of that. He's not an administrator. He's a strategist. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he he is all about the battle yep. and the chess game. And um, if if this is something that interests you, any anybody who's listening or any of you guys, uh, there is a fantastic YouTuber uh, that goes by the name of Eckert's Ladder, and uh, he talks about uh, strategy, like space strategy, and how how Star Wars nails it in some instances and how it completely misses the ball in other instances. Um, and so he's got really great, like he runs through these, uh, the books and like the, the different conflicts that occur in the books and the shows. And he talks about why they might have chosen the strategies that they did and what they could have done differently to possibly win. Uh, and, you know, has these really cool, uh, you know, 40 graphics for it and everything. So definitely recommend you check it out. It's Eckhart's Ladder on YouTube. Uh, really cool battle reviews. If you're nerdy like me and love this <laughs> space kind of stuff, <laughs> definitely. I just, I just subscribed. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all kind of fit that camp of, of nerdy. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Thrawn being the, the strategist that he is, though, knows that this is exactly what he needs to do to get Ezra to surrender, which Ezra... He does. Uh, he he hands off his lightsaber to, to Chopper and plans to, to go to the Star Destroyer. And we have a, a very touching moment where, where Hera tries to um, tell him that there must be another way. And she tries to kind of, you know, stop him from going. And again, we have the, the Sabine and Ezra kind of bond moment where Sabine knows that Ezra has to go and Ezra recognizes it. And so Sabine pulls the attention of everyone away from from Ezra as they're trying to to come up with a plan to start the the shield generator up and allows Ezra to to slip away without having to justify his actions. Ezra heads up to the to the star destroyer and um meanwhile uh stormtroopers are are coming to lay siege to the command center where all the rest of the of the crew is. When Ezra gets up to the the star destroyer um, we have a really cool dialogue between Thrawn and Ezra again. And so Thrawn is, he, he's doing a little bit of, of kind of prideful monologuing. He points out to Ezra that he's predictable and rather than choose to let his people die, he chose to be a Jedi. And so that's how Thrawn knew that he was going to kind of come up there. Um, he says that, that Jedi always choose what they believe to be morally correct, even if it isn't the most strategic, um, which I sort of felt like that was a good analogy for my Christian life. I think it's, it's knowing I, I go back to the chess analogy because mm-hmm. the chess analogy is so good here. It's, it's the difference between a chess player who wants to protect all of their pieces mm-hmm. and a chess player who wants to make the lines to win. Right. Uh, you know, and sometimes you just, you put a piece out there to sacrifice it just to make that better choice of, you know, that better positioning for yourself. And, um, and it's hard, it's really hard to, to, jump that moment in chess and so if it's hard to jump that moment in chess where it's just about stupid pieces on a board right to do it as a strategist in war 
is really complex where you have all of these moving pieces that are if not just monetarily valuable their actual human life mm -hmm. that you're sacrificing for whatever your cause is but if you're going to win the battle occasionally that is the choice that you have to make and you know i, I hate the eggs and omelets uh analogy but sometimes that's the way that war goes and that's the you know that's the point he's trying to make is like sometimes you have to sacrifice what is morally right in order to win the battle. And it comes back to that question of do the ends justify the means and, and where do we draw that line? Yep. And you know, we go back to this whole just war thing and you know, we could endlessly circle that mm -hmm. question, but it's a really cool moment to see those two things juxtaposed. I think, um, I mean, maybe you guys can correct me, but it seems like in this series, they um, portray Thrawn as an amoral character. Would you agree mm. with that? Yeah. Like yeah. that he doesn't really, he doesn't have morals. I, like even when he says what they believe to be moral, it's like, oh, you, you guys have your little morals. That's cute. You know, I have no, they serve no purpose for me. I was, I was just going to say, I think in the show that is, that is very, right. uh, exactly how, 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 he's, yeah. how he's presented. Um, because in a, in a show like rebels, you, you, they're spending more time with, with Ezra and the, mm -hmm. the family than with getting into kind of the, the mind of Thrawn. Uh, but if you read the books again, I'll make a plug for them. They are fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, you, I mean, you, he, he definitely has a moral center, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's, it may not be the same morality that the Jedi have. Um, because I think Thrawn will do things like the ends justify the means. Versus Ezra, you know, and, and the Jedi who would say, you know, sacrificing a life is never worth whatever end result you're going for. And well, that's I, to my knowledge, I don't think the show even hints at the, of course, whole dilemma from the books about his uh, sort of split loyalties. Because, mm -hmm. you know, my read on it from the I haven't read the new the new ones yet because of my whole stupid and I didn't reserve it in enough time thing, which I've gone <laughs> over on previous episodes. But the uh, <laughs> it's only only six weeks now till I can get it. Oh, well, hey, yeah. Although I, now that I, think I wish I, I could just reserve like, the send you my copy. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I might just go because the thing is, I'm sure I'll love it. I might just buy it. But yeah. um, I mean, I've gotten a lot of them for free through the library. I could probably afford to get one of them. But I, yeah, I think he I know in the um, the trilogy Zon did just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I know they really explored that. Was it the th was it the third one? I think. Yeah, I think it was the third one. The th yeah, th treason. Where it's really um, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So in treason, they really explored that a lot with him. And you know, I mean, it's like uh, he's pretty devoted to the Chiss ascendancy, and this is like a real long term. Like, there's no expiration date on this whole empire thing. Like, he's basically doing all of this because that's. It seems to me like that's that's the most strategic mm -hmm. way, you know, mm -hmm. to to make sure that he has this kind of long term play or can kind of keep an eye on the frontiers from their perspective because they're way out in a different part of space and everything. So, but yeah, I mean, you don't get any of that in the show. You just he's just an admiral and he looks different than the other ones and right, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think you do miss something to some extent. Again, you don't need it, right? But but it does make his character seem much less complicated, you mm -hmm. know. I think it's sort of, um, to kind of get back to the dialogue um, that they have, I think uh, portraying Thrawn in the way that they do serves a greater purpose uh, for a motif in the series, which is that, um, you know, Ezra tells Thrawn, the Force isn't a weapon. Um, mm -hmm. And 
to me, when I hear that, I, I think about, you know, that ancient verse in scripture that God's ways are far above our ways. And this concept that, um, you know, Thrawn kind of typifies the ultimate conqueror and he sees the force as, um, you know, a means to gain power. And, um, you know, that in, in our galaxy, God and religion and spirituality are still weaponized. Like they're still used mm. as sort of a tool to gain power. Um, and I think, you know, Ezra also says, you think you can take whatever you want, things you didn't make, didn't earn, things you don't even understand. Mm-hmm. And to kind of get to the heart of what I'm saying here is that um, he is sort of Ezra's representing this native of Lothal who is standing up against this conqueror, you know, a potential conqueror of Lothal. And that is a, a recurrent motif in Star Wars, the motif of the natives versus the conquerors. Um, and, you know, George Lucas really loved that theme. And I think also with Thrawn's use of art, and artifacts, we see that it's, you know, merely for strategic purposes. And Ezra is kind of saying, like, you don't understand these things. Thrawn is is trying to use everything on a sort of artificial or superficial level. Um, but, you know, as we know, it's sort of like when you study theology, it's like the insider's perspective versus an outsider's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not involved in the spirituality and the, in the religion, the religious practice, um, and you don't have that background, there's no way you can appreciate the piece of art, the artifact, whatever it is. Um, so I think, you know, George Lucas, he's huge into art. He's huge into artifacts. He, it, that's, that's his thing. And um, I think that ultimately that was um, a reason why they have Thrawn portrayed in sort of a simplistic manner in, mm-hmm. uh, in Rebels. I would I would just like to add I th- I think uh, you're making a, a very good distinction it's it's like the distinction of um, I think Thrawn understands art but I don't think he feels art mm-hmm. um, yeah. or in terms of of like Catholic spirituality it's like it's he knows about Jesus but he doesn't know Jesus <laughs> it's it's carrying a rosary for protection but not praying the rosary right? yeah like not having, or having that a relationship connection. with Mary yeah yep. yeah. Well, and that's the distinction I always use with the kids when I'm teaching them. I'm, I'm in a teaching a, an Old Testament course right now, and I was trying to give them some principles of Catholic biblical, you know, study and reading and everything early on, and we really you know spend some time on the analogy of a family photo album with scripture, mm. you know, and that you can have somebody who could sit there and study that thing day in day out and know more about it than you in one way, you know, mm-hmm. like what everybody's wearing and what, you know, what that kind of like architecture is like every little detail, but they're not part of the family and you are, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and so there's just a different experience of, you know, when it's, when it's your story, you know, and it actually means something to you. It has to do with where you came from. You know, the other person may be able to quote chapter and verse and you may not be able to, but it's just just a different experience Mm -hmm. of of that relationship that you've made a decision to, to kind of embrace this. And to them, it's just sort of, for whatever reason, for study, for strategy, for 
you know, it's an it's a means to an end mm-hmm. when it really kind of is your end. Yeah. I, and, and I think for Thrawn, it, I mean, that's that's ultimately his downfall. Like he knows yeah. about Sabine because of her art. He knows about Hera. Right. He knows about, you know, uh, the rebels. But he doesn't know the rebels. So like how Ezra acts catches him off guard and that's why he loses back on uh the back on the fall uh we we have uh mart martin and uh wolf and, and visago getting uh getting woken woken up by a by a loth wolf and they mart mart says that he's been given a special mission by ezra um this is that uh <laughs> totally ezra bridger kind of plan that that thron couldn't couldn't account for um, so they they head off and uh, head out t- and start sending out a signal beacon on frequency zero. Uh, and of course, Wolf is confused and doesn't know what that's for. And uh, Mart Mart all he says is uh, that they are con- not contacting a who but a what, and uh, kind of leaves it at that. Um, and we see that come into play later. Back in the command center, uh, we have the the crew uh, distracting the, the stormtroopers to to get out to be able to go take back uh, the, the the shield generators and get them uh, turned online. And uh, Hera and Sabine are are really hoping that that Ezra knows what he's doing. We then get to perhaps the key of the whole episode. Um, if you will, it's the uh, Thrawn takes Ezra to to the Emperor, and that's that's kind of the the, the heart of this whole this whole episode. Um, and uh, because the Emperor is is of course wanting to to see Ezra and to use Ezra, and uh, Thrawn has been tasked to bring him to the Emperor, and so he brings him to the um, Jedi Temple on the Star Destroyer, which was taken <laughs> from the planet and reconstructed. <laughs> can't imagine the the price of hiring the movers for for that ah they built a death star who cares what the <laughs> price for moving the temple was right <laughs> well part of me was like well if you were to like take the temple apart and rebuild it like would it lose its apparently it doesn't lose its like mystical powers but part of me would be like well maybe should have been tied to the planet in the place funky about that too yeah. so yeah um or perhaps perhaps maybe this is what's going on is that the emperor was just using his own it was a ruse uh yeah mm-hmm. okay that that actually makes more that's, sense that's kind of where that's that's the that's the feeling i walked away with it with mm-hmm. that this this was the whole thing was a ruse right right um well and and it all starts off with with the emperor appearing as he did he's he's all mm-hmm. dressed in white um he's appearing like he did in the prequels he's he's warm he's charming he's inviting uh he's fatherly um, and he's, mm-hmm. and, and it's all, it's all to manipulate Ezra. Um, and that's again, like what, what I was mentioning earlier that I was seeing the parallels with, with the emperor and Anakin, same sort of thing, manipulation and, um, you know, appearing to, to care and to be fatherly to, to both of them. Were there any other episodes where, where you had Ian McDiarmid do the voice? Um, for, well, I think in the, the world, world, world between, between worlds, worlds, I think, cause which was the same season yes right? yes but i don't think before i think I before think it was a different a different voice actor okay um in fact yeah, i want to so was... say sam witwer was the voice of the emperor oh, in I think previous he did. yeah 
previous episodes. Because I know they had different people do his voice in the in the Clone Wars. There were a couple. I think right. uh, I think Tim Curry did it at one point. There were oh, <laughs> wow! A few people. That yeah. <laughs> sounds awesome. <laughs> but um, and you know they were close. But I mean, nobody's voice sounds quite like his. You know, when it's him, yeah. it's like oh, like I get a chill. You know, it's funny because he he seems like such a sweet guy. I've but met man, him. That character is. Oh, have you? Yeah, and he is the nicest guy oh. ever. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I saw something where he was saying like everyone was saying we love you, and he's like, I I don't know what he's like. You shouldn't. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like my character's horrible. I was like, he's a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> The, it, you know, the the thing that interested me about this one is um, th- this kind of like took me out of just the, the moment where he's trying to corrupt uh, Ezra. And it made me wonder, is this what he's done with all of the Inquisitors? Like, has he Ooh. has he taken each of the Inquisitors and and honed in on what it was that was the deepest? Like, like, is this a strategy? Cause this almost sounds this almost seems lazy, honestly. <laughs> like if you if you watch this, it's like like, you know, this one thing about Ezra and that's yeah. and you think you're just gonna earn it like that that's it just it's done you know and it worked with Anakin because he had a long time to build Anakin up to that point yep. right but but it seems so lazy with Ezra where it's just like let's take you in and like give you this desire of your heart which is so far-fetched honestly even at this point you know you're kind of like oh gosh okay that's like that's a little that's a bridge too far seriously guy and so I wonder if this is like what he's been doing with the Inquisitors is like just systematically taking them and picking their thing that would push them over the edge. And that's how he's gotten them all to that point. You know, he raises them to be the way they are, but then then takes that moment. And instead of instilling the Jedi in them, like the, you know, the the moral imperative to, to save the universe, he instills that uh, selfishness that is the dark side of the force. I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. And I and I and I think that I think the emperor was just pressed for time with this yeah. particular mm-hmm. encounter. Right, right. Um, and uh, yeah, he was. This was like the hail mary shot for him. That that right. That didn't, <laughs> like that didn't pan out. We're gonna try it. We're gonna try this. <laughs> but on the on the flip side, I mean, the emperor is a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. You know, so so he definitely. It, it it wouldn't have been just like a complete shot in the dark. He, you know, he would have, he's known people and, and human nature well enough to know what buttons to push and, you know, orchestrating the entire clone wars. And I mean, everything he, he probably thought his chances of success in getting Ezra to fall were, you know, a, an acceptable risk. Well, and he, he always, I mean, one of the creepiest things with him always for me, every time I watch it is the fight with Mace Windu. And he's so like, just, you know, like, I'm too weak. I'm too weak. And, you know, like he's, he's like begging for his life and he's this poor, innocent, you know, injured dude. And the moment he blasts him out the window, he just hops right up. He's not (laughs) even like out of breath. And it's like, okay, (laughs) he just rebounds and he's horribly disfigured for the rest of his life. But he's just like, all right, now where's that order 66 (laughs) stuff? You know, and it's like, okay. But he even uses his disfigurement to further his cause. Right, yeah. you know, like, they feel sorry for him. yeah. Right, right, right. Um, can I kind please. of get into the yep. temptation part? Yes, please. Because <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about that. Um, so obviously, yeah, like he, the Emperor tempts Ezra into, now that he has the knowledge that, you know, hey, time is sort of like you can jump into different 
time zones now, kind of like uh, that we that we saw it in the previous episodes. Um, and so he sort of tempts Ezra into this idea that he can go and rejoin his family, which is very creepy. I was thinking like, yeah, exactly what you were saying, Thomas, like this is not real. He's probably just going to jump into some weird black hole. And, yeah. you know, like that was kind of the emperor's plan. Um and Ezra really looks like he's going to give in for a second. Um, but he ends up saying, uh, mom and dad, you'll always be a part of me, but I have to let you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, first of all, at the beginning of the episode, I didn't mention this, but I had put in my notes that we hear the force theme like when he's looking at the picture of his family, the hollow of his family, you hear the force theme. And I think that was sort of the foreshadowing of he has acknowledged this part of him. That is his weakness. He has learned the lesson that Keenan has mm-hmm. been trying to teach him, you know, that he needs to let go of this, this attachment that he has to the idea of being with his family again or getting revenge for them or whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, that has always made him vulnerable to the dark side. And now he's understanding that in order for him to go to the next level and to accept his mission, as we've been talking about, you know, accept his vocation, that he has to let that go. He has to let Mm. them go. And um, so this idea that the emperor doesn't understand of, you know, not having attachments, um, not wanting those things for yourself. That's how Ezra ends up defeating the I mean, you know, essentially defeating the um, the emperor in this situation and overcoming the temptation. Um, And now I think is the turning point to where he really opens up himself to giving himself for other people, the sacrificing himself for others, because he has made that decision that what I want is no longer what's most important to me. What's most important to me is other people mm-hmm. and what the, the place that I play in this, you know, this whole um, mission that we have. Yeah. And, and what I, what I really uh, appreciated about that too, was that, um, and and we've been talking about this for the last number of episodes of of him watching Kanan do the exact same thing and Kanan mm-hmm. sacrificing his life and then Ezra struggling with that and and Ezra having to learn the lesson that Kanan wanted to teach him to to let go and then Ezra being able to do the same thing um i think that that's that's just so crucial to who we are you know cuz how we even learn how to deal with things is we look to those examples in our in our culture and our society we look to the saints you know how did they deal with these things and and then we you know can learn from them and then choose to live our life in the same way that they did and Ezra does the same thing with Canaan and realizes you know holding on to that or or the fear of loss you know that can be the the pathway into that you know grasping and the dark side uh, essentially and and he knows and has learned to to let that go and that allows him to be the hero um as the the vocation that he's called to be and he's able to to live that out i also really like that this ties back to the sense of family that this show is all about where uh the family that he's become part of 
uh, and and you see this juxtaposition with the with the imperial characters. All of the imperial characters they are part of this massive organization, right? And they they fit into this organization, but they fit in the organization in a sense that they are there to protect themselves by being part of this faceless entity, right? Like that other guy over there is going to get shot, not me. Whereas Ezra's family, the sense of family that he falls into is he's self-actualized inside of that family. You see the relationship between him and Sabine grow. You see the relationship between him and Hera grow. They, it's not that he's just there as a part of this uh, thing that protects him, but that he's there to protect them as mm-hmm. well. And so they, they build each other up as they become more important to each other. Yeah, that's a good point. It's um, the um, the empire being this um, this force, but in the sort of violent sense of force <laughs> that is opposing the spiritual force that uh, you know the good guys kind of use, and um, the empire is using that violent force and they kind of use this excuse they tell people all the time you see this in in star wars all the time where they're like oh we're keeping peace in the galaxy you know this is mm-hmm. the way to keep peace in the galaxy is to use force mm-hmm. you know and um and that's the uh, that's sort of the the lie that they tell themselves in order to um make everything okay you know all their choices that they make as a as a an imperial officer or whatever it, the case may be. Um, so I, I, I never really thought about that, but mm-hmm. that, uh, that's a great um, juxtaposition that we see there. And you see the, the, just the juxtaposition of like, um, I, I don't want to be superficial about it, but the happiness level of like the Imperials mm-hmm. versus um, the, the crew of the ghost. I mean, you know, they're all, suffering and and you know oppressed but like being a part of a family in the midst of challenge and suffering is more joyful than sort of just uh being on the opposite end of that right and as cheesy it is as it is you know they're all very colorful and <laughs> the empire is very yep. you know black and white grays yep. nothing deviating from that yep. so so yeah so ezra i mean he this is the culmination of four seasons and four seasons of growth uh, is, is where, is why he's able to, to face this temptation and acknowledge his, the, the pain of, of loss of his family, but not let that control, uh, his, his desires. And he, he lets them go back on the planet. We, we have the, the infiltration of, of the, the shield generator room. Um, and there's kind of a lot of action that happens down there. Uh, Rook is, is, back in full force uh and um at at one point uh zeb actually has to kind of he does something crazy because um gregor mentions that something drastic needed to happen and so zeb jumps off the 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 ledge to to try to get at get at rook and um ultimately um is able to to pin rook down in in one of the the, the shield generator uh coils um while the rest of the the teams are are taking over the 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 balconies and stuff where all the control panels are um and that is uh finally the the end of of rook as well he didn't fall he didn't fall down a pit but uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah we actually see him he fell just <laughs> he the right amount 
Right. <laughs> no, there's that great moment with Mulch and, um, mm-hmm. and Hondo, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Mulch gets hit, and Hondo's like, no! <laughs> uh, it was, that, was, that was classic. I would tell them that he should be grateful. <laughs> like, he sees him waking up. Uh, well, and yeah, so, so Melch, Melch didn't, didn't die, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I appreciated that comment from Hondo because I mean, he acts all, all tough and he, he's a, <laughs> right. he's a pirate and, and, you know, it's, it's all about him, but I mean, th- this totally shows how much he really cared for Melch when he thought that he was dead yeah, yeah. and, um, he's, he, he's a softy. on the flip side though, uh, Gregor gets shot and he doesn't survive that shot. Uh, which was which was a bit of uh, a bit disheartening, uh, but uh, understandable, I guess, as well. So Rex, Rex, and Gregor are able to to have have a moment, which was which was cool, and and Gregor was able to say, you know, this is Rex. This was something that we both chose to believe in and fight for, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which was as opposed to something like the 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 uh, the um, separatist war you know, that they were sort of just commissioned for, or even order 66 where they weren't even able to control what they were, what they were able to do here was something they were, they chose to fight for. Oh, I think I forgot to mention at some point chop, uh, gets, gets fried. I think we mentioned that, <laughs> that earlier, yeah. uh, poor, poor chopper, but it was, it, it is kind of funny. So after, after they do finally, um, re-engage the shield generator, um, of course at that exact moment, Thrawn was going to start or no. So, I guess I need to back up. Uh, Ezra has completely denied the the temptation and has has uh, he pulls the the Jedi Temple down kind of upon himself and upon uh, the the hologram of the Emperor and and runs out and um, you know guards come in and try to kill Ezra and he knocks them all off with with rocks um, and it's at that point that I think someone must have told Thrawn that the plan was going south. And so mm-hmm. Thrawn decides to bombard the planet. Um, and that's when, thankfully, the, the shield generator is, is activated uh, and Rook is, is uh, killed. And um, the shield generator goes up right before the, the Star Destroyer starts to try to bombard the, the city again. By the way, can I just, I was just thinking, I'm sorry, one quick thing about the droids. Is it, is it just me or is it like, it, it's almost like there's like the red shirt thing in Star Trek. Like there's just some <laughs> droids that like just don't matter and others that nothing, what happens to them doesn't matter because they'll be just fine. You know, and you think of the ones on the uh, Naboo, you know, starfighter mm-hmm. leaving those getting blasted one after the other. And for some reason, no one can just hit R2, you know, <laughs> or like the force um, is strong with him, I guess, you know, and when R, who was uh, Obi-Wan's and gets his whole head like sawed off on, on you know, in the middle of the yeah. fight at the beginning of episode three. And all he says is like, oh, dear. <laughs> you know, like, but he doesn't get any, you know they were you were more upset about chopper when he got fried for like two seconds but anyway i just wanted to mention that i'm sorry <laughs> it's, it's like you know he's gonna be okay oh it's it's chopper <laughs> uh, and then there's c-3po uh, yeah, who exactly. like falls in the middle of all of that <laughs> it's like oh man i wish he would get shot by a blaster bolt sometimes <laughs> it's like the worst thing that happened to 3po was that he actually had the memory wiped you know, after the prequel trilogy, he didn't get that back. R2 didn't save that stuff. He saved it in right. episode nine, apparently. He was hoping for a reboot there. Yeah. Like, just... That's a whole, we could do a whole show on that. Did R2 give 3PO his whole memory back? <laughs> or just the part from, you know, four up. So, <laughs> Good question. 
Anyway, sorry. Um, Star Wars. <laughs> but I, I, I did think it was funny, though, that, that Chop wakes up because Sabine hits him. Yeah. So right. like, <laughs> like, like an old computer, like, just, just work and hit yeah. it. You know, yeah, percussive yep. maintenance, man. Sometimes <laughs> percussive maintenance. Um, so, so yeah. So uh, she tells uh, Chopper to contact the ghost, and uh, they are are continuing to move forward with with their mission. Um, Ezra. Uh, oh, I guess another thing to point out too was that uh, once Ezra did uh, deny that temptation, we get the flickering between the the Palpatine of the 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 white fatherly figure yeah. Palpatine and the Darth Sidious sinister hologram Palpatine, which was which yeah, was a that was interesting. <laughs> I was like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, is that a dark side thing or a holographic? malfunction like, thing like, does the hologram interact with the force like you know like we can do we can do like the zoom backgrounds this he can do some sort of like he can do some sort of foreground over himself like a an overlay I, yeah. well it's like all the the, the ar filters on instagram and and some you know you can, <laughs> he had the puppy filter filter on and then all of a sudden nope there's no puppy filter whoa put that back i'm sure he could probably just do a deep fake of what he used to look like over top of himself uh, so yeah i don't think there's anything really to say there but um i did want to bring that up uh ezra makes it to the bridge though and, and finally has his final uh confrontation with thrawn um and this is where uh we have the the surprise twist of the of the finale that thrawn is informed of approaching unidentified objects um, I had to to listen to that twice to make sure that it wasn't like on a like they said objects, not ships. So it, right. it was very clearly they didn't know what this was. And uh, Thrawn is confident that his blockade will handle it. Um, we get a, a reference to Captain <laughs> Pallian, even though he's there for like like two seconds. Uh, he was a, a key a key figure in Thrawn's life in the the Legends uh, novels, and I forget if he was in Rebels more than this, but. Um, that's beside the point. Pergils are what come to save the day. And you mean space whales. Space whales. Yes. <laughs> yes. Totally Ezra Bridger written all over that. <laughs> it was it was really funny because I, I was doing some internet uh searches on on them and I think like some commentator commented like on season the the, the Pergils for, for were from season two. Mm-hmm. And like somebody was like, ah, this is just kind of a filler episode and yeah. like not, not really nope. much is happening. <laughs> like sure. It, it kind of deepens Ezra's connection to animals and such, but you know, not really worth anything. And uh, so this actually bugged me this okay. actually bugged me until, until I it sat would. down and like, not okay, surprised. so I had to draw lines here because, because there's, because there's a thing about the force users and their charisms, right? Every force user has their charism. And like, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, I think Luke, we get the least out of his, like, we don't really know what his is as much, but if you look at the rest of them, there's just like, uh, every one of them has kind of a focus. Obi-Wan's is very much the mind trick thing. We see that very intently. Yoda's is very much the patience and the, 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 uh, the ability to kind of see the force outside of time, outside of the time that he's in the emperors, I would say is just the ability of suggestion, right? He can suggest to people things. And then there's Ezra who the emperor tries. And this is why I think the emperor failed, right? 
because the emperor tries to play on what he thinks is Ezra's charism, which is this ability to bend time. And mm. the only reason that the emperor thinks that is because he saw Ezra inside of that, uh, you know, the bent time, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the outside, the outside place. Right. But the problem is that he didn't realize that what Ezra was doing was following two animals right. into that place. Right. Mm-hmm. He followed the law, the, the Lothwolf in and then the owl was moving around inside of the space. And those two animals were his connection to that space. Mm-hmm. And then the emperor failed at his temptation because he thought, oh, this kid's like his charism is this this time bending thing. And he didn't see past that to the fact that it's more this, this kind of connection with animals that was Ezra's real calling and real ability in the force. Well said. But, yeah, which I think kind of came home in this whole like scene of the, you okay. know, the space whales coming in at the end to like I thought, just I thought, trounce everybody. I thought you had a problem with the space whales in general. <laughs> no, no, it, bo- it bothered me until I like sat down and like thought about all this. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay like, okay. you know, because like, I, I, you know, I just... Ezra's connection to animals yep. is, is very yep. apparent yep. throughout the whole series, but uh, but like this scene, like you know that that whole like concept of the charisms, like really just caught me off guard. And then I was like, oh okay, the emperor misjudged. That's what he he didn't have a good sense of it. Mm-hmm. He he misgaged what the charism of Ezra Bridger yep. was. And I and I think that goes back to just the, the like we kind of mentioned that he didn't have he didn't have nearly the time to like get to know mm-hmm. Ezra in the same way that he could right. Anakin or potentially uh the inquisitors exactly um so so yeah the the space whales come and 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 save the day and uh that's that's exactly what thrawn is unable to account for um and i'm i'm sure you guys probably picked up on this too but even um the stance that ezra has as he's using the force to hold the the door to keep the stormtroopers out and thrawn pinned down is Mm -hmm. the same stance Mm -hmm. as kanan when he sacrificed mm-hmm. himself mm-hmm. yeah which was which was really really good to see um of course Hera and sabine are trying to get him to to leave and they they recognize that the purgles are going to launch him off into hyperspace and ezra embraces the fact that he's going to sacrifice himself for his family in this and as they're launched off to hyperspace the last words that he says is and remember the force will be with you always so, okay, hear me out. Yes. But in this scene, I saw the ascension of Jesus. Mm. Because um, Ezra actually says, it's, it's up to all of you now. Remember, the force will be with mm. you always. And mm. everyone is staring up, right? And he also says he can't wait to come back. Dang. So... To me, oh, I saw cool. all those things and I was like, <laughs> Jesus, like, he, like he's a very Christ figure, like in this scene. So what do you think? <laughs> Am I crazy? Am I seeing things? I, that is a, like that is a phenomenal insight. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, but that is exactly what Jesus did. Like he ascended into heaven and then um, sent the, the paraclete to, to be with us. And, and, you know, in Ezra's case, that's the, the force more or less, and that eventually he will come back and we, we think he'll come back at least. So, um, no, I think and that's there's a, that line of like everyone staring up at the sky. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They're still staring up at the sky, even when like the Pergil go off, like into hyperspace and everybody's just like kind of staring there and it's kind yep. of quiet. It, it was to me, it was like very 
like, you know, silence. There was no music or anything. And then like in that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Scripture. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's that's an awesome uh, analogy there. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so Ezra succeeds in, in getting the empire out of Lothal at that point, except for everyone who was still on the dome, at which point they're, they're going to launch the dome and and finally destroy it. Ryder gives price an option for coming with them, but she, she's so kind of corrupted and prideful that, that she's going to stay and serve the empire until the bitter end for her. And so they, they launch the dome. And uh, the ghost crew escapes uh, through the viewport and Sabine actually uses Ezra's lightsaber to break through, uh, which was another cool moment for for the two of them. Um, They're saved by the ghost and they all escape and they initiate the self-destruct on the dome as it's over the sea. Um, And she says it's for Kanan and Ezra and she she blows it up. It kind of looked like fireworks from from my perspective is watching that. Um, But... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, this giant thing in the sky that, that, or, I mean, it kind of looks like the, the Death Star exploding, um, in episode Mm -hmm. six as well. Um, on the ghost, the, uh, they find a recording from Ezra who obviously either the force kind of gave him a clue that this was going to happen, or he just assumed that this might happen and he left a message for them. And he, he laments that this wasn't the path that he wanted, but it's the path that he had to go on and that he was going to miss them. He tells Zeb that Zeb can have the top bunk back uh, for now, <laughs> he clarifies. Uh, he left a, mm, I'm going to mispronounce this, um, Melirune? Mel- for Hera, it's a fruit. Right. That's, uh, it's a fruit. I have it written down, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Either way, he leaves a fruit for, for Hera in her, in her cabin because it's her favorite. And again, reiterates to Sabine that, that he's counting on her. Um, yeah. And She's that, so frustrated too. Yeah. Like, I yeah. Know, I know. It's like, what do you mean? I know, what? I know. What do you mean? Um, but then he also says that that he couldn't have wished for a better family and that he can't wait to come home. And meanwhile, Rex is is already thinking um strategy here because he he suspects that the, the Empire is gonna come back and not let them keep Lethal and that they're gonna have to to keep Lethal safe. And um but ultimately, they, they come to the conclusion that they think that Lothal will be able to defend itself against the Empire if it comes back. Mm. So they kind of fly over the city and see all the, the people celebrating in the streets from uh, the liberation that happened. And then the episode ends with um, just a, a real cool kind of epilogue. Sabine kind of gives a voiceover of what, what happened in the next uh, number of years and uh, relates that the Empire didn't come back to Lethal. Um, and we learn that uh, Zeb took Callus to the, to the planet Lyrasan, where Callus realized that he hadn't actually destroyed the, la- the last of the Lasat people and that he was welcome there. Uh, we learn that Hera and Rex both fought at the Battle of Endor, and we see Hera and Kanan's son, Spectre Seven, Jason Sindula. For those of you who are Legends fans, that is a very key uh, name in the Legends universe. In the Legends universe, uh, ha- one of Han and Leia's sons was named Jason. So I'm, I know that that's where they, they pulled that name from. Sabine uh, finally kind of realizes that uh, Ezra was counting on her, not, not just to protect Lethal, but ultimately to come find him. 
and the entire scene ends with Ahsoka arriving and her and Sabine heading off to find Ezra to bring him home. It's so cool to see this ancient, you know, wise Ahsoka in mm-hmm. her yes. robes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that was my favorite of, part. <laughs> do you know what any of the, the stuff means? Like her staff? and I, I, I've never really looked into it too much. I don't think so. I think it's all, that's just, that's her appearance at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it, it, so. it kind of visually gives off the sense of, of, of a wise, you know, Jedi. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of a, a master sort of a feel, even though she is no Jedi. Uh, mm-hmm. she's a, she's a wise no non-Jedi. But... <laughs> I believe, uh, episode five or six of Mando season two is called the Sorcerer. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, yeah, the, 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 the rumor, although I'm I'm still so thankful that there hasn't been any like official sort of right releases on what's to come other than the, the, the teaser, which thankfully, just like the first one, didn't really give us anything to go on other than some really right. cool visuals. And well, and I, I don't know how the episodes, you know, supposedly line up, but I saw somewhere I think Favreau wrote most of them uh, this time around. But I think Dave Filoni wrote one episode or someone Ooh. said so my my guess would be you know if you're gonna have ahsoka pop up briefly do it in one episode have dave filoni write it Mm -hmm. like why would you do it any other way you know she's totally his character you know Mm -hmm. so that's that's my hope we'll see maybe she'll be wearing that robe again and she's like here's what this is no (laughs) yeah well and and i hope it's i i hope that they use it they use the Mandalorian as a launching point for a bunch of other things because I want the Mandalorian to maintain its own Mm -hmm. integrity. Yeah. Like I don't want it to be subsumed by all the other possible characters that could be jumping in and out, you know? So I like, I like the Boba Fett might be a one-off. I like Mm -hmm. that Ahsoka might be a one-off and keep the Mando and the child. (laughs) I would, I would expect that to happen because even rebels Mm -hmm. itself was very clearly not meant to be a sequel to the clone wars. And yet, right, yet right. they still like brought in Ahsoka and Rex, yeah. but it still felt very clearly all centered on the, the ghost crew, even with yeah. the peripheral characters that we knew from the Clone Wars. And if they, and and, right. it's not, you know, you don't get like a season five of Rebels. It's no Rebels is done, but yep. here, here are these. Yeah, it's a, it's a neat way to do it. And with Filoni, you know, co-writing or I mean, co-leading the series. Yeah, I, I think we're I think we're in good hands. Any final thoughts on the Rebels finale from any of you three? No, <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was fantastic. Like <laughs> yeah, it was I, I think great. I think it was really interesting that it it really did uh, answer a lot of interesting questions that I didn't have before this episode popped up. Right, so like uh, the specific charism issue, you know, the, that I that I brought up, like about what is Ezra's real call in the force uh i didn't have that question before you got to this episode and you're like oh wait the emperor sees this other thing but no when you really hone it in that that he is he's about the animals that's like Mm -hmm. his that's his thing and then um you know a couple of other little things about the family issues that he was having that just got really pulled to the forefront especially the like being an individual and and growing inside of a family and how that's different from just existing as part of an organization uh 
that's not something that I had thought of before this this episode, and it really got pushed to the forefront by the interactions and the way that they played off of each other, uh, the different types of characters that they had. Well, I think then that is it from us. Uh, listeners, of course, uh, what did you guys think of the Rebels finale? And uh, definitely let us know what you thought and what you thought of our discussion. And you can let us know by emailing us or you can comment on our Facebook or Twitter page um, and let us know that way. Our email is starwars at sqpn.com and you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia and of course on Twitter at sqpn. And as always, we'd like to take a moment now and thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, including this week, Jordan B., Kim C., Eddie S., Robert R., and Pamela G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the various shows that we do here at StarQuest. And please, if you'd like to join them, you can do so by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Also, of course, be sure to subscribe to the show so you can listen to our episodes as they uh, go live. And you can listen in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any of your favorite podcast apps. And you can find um, SQPN on our on our, on YouTube, and just make sure to click the bell to receive notifications when new episodes drop, so you can listen in. You can find all previous episodes of The Secrets of Star Wars by going to sqpn.com/slash/starwars. And we will be back in two weeks, where we will be revving up for The Mandalorian season two. Super, super exciting. <laughs> so we are going to take an episode and we are going to discuss all things The Mandalorian Season 1. So, um, and we're going to kind of focus or use the, the docu-series on Disney+. Plus. The Disney gallery, The Mandalorian, is kind of um, a, a launching point to, to discuss uh, The Mandalorian Season 1. So we'll be kind of, you know, a year later talking about everything that happened a year ago as we're preparing for the Mandalorian season two, which is going to start streaming on October 30th. So definitely exciting month to be a star Wars fan and a Mandalorian fan. So until then, Angela Cialana, thank you for joining us and sharing the secrets of star Wars. My pleasure. Thomas Sanjurjo. Thank you for joining us this evening as well. May the force be with you always. And Mike Creevy. Thanks for joining us this evening. Always a lot of fun. Once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. <laughs>